Welcome to the Princeton Evangelical Free Church Podcast. I'm John Padno, the lead pastor here at PEFC, where it is our desire to equip people to grow together in Christ. Our hope is that this podcast is a help and an encouragement to you this week. May God bless you as you listen. Good morning once again, church. My name is John Patnode. I'm the senior pastor here at Princeton Free. Would you all turn your Bibles open to Acts chapter 17? Acts chapter 17. If you don't have a Bible, I would invite you to get a Bible. Uh, one of our usher tables here, this is uh, a Bible that we offer for free to anyone who maybe forgot theirs, or if you don't have one, we would love to send it home with you. Um, so uh, a big idea of what I want to do this morning um, I know many of you like to go home uh, to mom's house and have a good home-cooked meal, right? Yeah, we all do. Um, what I'm going to do this morning, instead of give you a home-cooked meal, which is usual, I'm going to teach you how to cook instead. Uh, maybe I'll say it another way. Uh, we talked about last week about uh, this idea of doing an inductive Bible study. Many of you took these sheets. I ran out of them. I have more out there on the table. In other words, it is uh, talking about how we have all the ingredients and tools before us that would be necessary to provide ourselves a meal out of the Word of God. Right? You do not need a master's degree or you don't need to go to Crown College in order to study the Bible for yourself and to glean the truths that the Lord would have for you today. So instead of giving you a meal, I'm going to teach you how to cook this morning. Would you pray with me before we begin? Father God, we uh, come to you in prayer because we come to you knowing uh, that you're going to have to speak this morning. Father God, you're going to have to imprint the truths into our minds and hearts that you desire us to walk away. Father God, you're going to have to speak with clarity because I, I can't. Lord, I am insufficient to do a work that only you can do through the power of your Holy Spirit. So we all are relying on you that we might see you more clearly, that we might be transformed. It's in Jesus' holy and precious name I pray. Amen. So here is kind of my final art piece that I'm going to hang on my fridge later of what it looks like to do an inductive Bible study when you're done. It kind of looks like a piece of artwork, does it not, Cece? So since you guys can't see the sheet, here's what I did. I printed out uh, the scripture from Acts chapter 17 that you have your Bibles open right now. And I just went through a process of inductive Bible study, first looking at what are the different places that are mentioned. We have synagogue, we have marketplace, we have uh, a place called Mars Hill where they'd all come together to talk about ideas and philosophy. Uh, I later went through thinking, okay, what is the major theme that is being talked about in this scripture? Usually, the major theme is going to be repeated over and over. The major theme that is throughout all of this is idolatry, divinities, religion, worship, God, lowercase g, God, uppercase g. It is the curious case of worship that humanity desires and desperately desires to worship God, but yet who is this God that they are worshiping? And so we go through... Uh, referencing who is speaking, 
down to looking at what are the major points. What's Paul trying to convey through all of this? What is the context? What is the content? How did they connect the deep truths of what Paul was trying to convey? And so we're going to take it at this first paragraph, and I want to illustrate for you why doing this can, can very well bring to the surface some uh, truth that is very plain to the eye. <clears throat> so in this part specifically, we have uh, the idea of idolatry, foreign divinities, we have teachings of philosophy, but as well as we see that there are religious people, there's Jewish people, there's just devout people, there are people with other worship philosophies like the Epicureans and the Stoics. And so a uh, uh, first question is this, uh, what are the different worship perspectives? So different worship perspectives that are in our day are not unlike Paul's day. For instance, in Paul's day, just like in our day, some people have a worship perspective of let go and let God, right? Jesus, take the wheel, and we'll just see where it goes from there until, you know, your trailer wheel is going farther ahead of you than you are, and you realize, Jesus, you took the wrong wheel. I don't want you to take that wheel. That is, let go and let God, that some of us have a perspective of passiveness in our spiritual lives instead of active trust. What are some symptoms of passiveness? Symptoms of passiveness is always receiving someone else's revelation from the Lord and Scripture and never uncovering your own. Symptoms of passiveness would be constantly worrying about your circumstance and never praying over and through your circumstance. Letting go and letting God, this passive spirituality, would cause you to never invite others to join you in serving or in attending something, but you always must be invited by somebody else or you'll never go. Another worship perspective, name it and claim it. This is just think positively and you'll overcome anything. Now, I'll tell you this, beloved, I think positively all the time about dunking on a 10-foot hoop. But no matter how positive I think about it, I seem to not be able to do it. But I still feel really good about myself, even though I can't dunk. The idea is this, that while a good mindset is key, we are called to think biblically, which is even more satisfying and assuringly. That is to say, to think biblically in this realm would mean that I am aware of my shortcomings. And in my awareness of my shortcomings, I become ever more aware of God's sufficiency in my weakness. Right? That's the difference between thinking biblically and just thinking positively. If I just think positively and dismiss all my shortcomings, am I ever going to see the greatness of God in and through? Last but not least, a perspective would be whatever will be, will be. It brings to mind a Beatles song. This would be a general apathy to spiritual things and things that matter. Know anybody like that? Do you know anybody whose life could best be described as a series of unfortunate events that always happen to them and cause them always to be stuck or trapped? Some people might come to mind. You know, Paul in all of this, uh, he's in this circumstance because as he's walking through the marketplace, he sees all of the idol worship. 
He sees all of these people finding security in things that just cannot provide security. And he is distressed in his heart over this. His heart breaks. He has a heart for worshipers. Does God have a heart for worshipers? He absolutely does. And so again, too, we say, what are the idols in our marketplace? If you were to walk in downtown Minneapolis and you were to look around you, what sort of idols might you see? big things that light up the sky. Now, if we were to talk about some new ideas together, as Paul does on Mars Hill, where might we talk about these new ideas and philosophies? Maybe anyone been to the Mill City Museum? Right next to it is the Guthrie Theater. Maybe that's where we talk about new ideas. Uh, something that's, that's pretty hot in, in the cities is uh, microbrews. Anybody heard of any microbrews? That could be a place where people come together to talk about new ideas, new philosophies. As Paul walks around in his marketplace, he's bothered in his heart by what he sees. And as I read that, I think, church, are you bothered enough by the different idol worship that you see around you? I mean, bothered enough to actually do something about it? to enter into conversations with people? I don't know if you know this, but it, it is a, a very high time for political seasons. How many of you get calls from Bernie and Trump and all the, the usuals? Uh, you're going to see more and more uh, things posted on social media that have to do with uh, political correctness, that have to do with political point of views, and, and more so uh, political criticism. Uh, there was uh, one recently that I saw uh, from a friend of mine from high school that uh, criticizes evangelical Christians for their views on being pro-life. Uh, this criticism in a meme uh, would say that evangelical Christians are more concerned with a lump of cells. This is their words. We're more concerned with a lump of cells, and we're not very concerned with orphans and babies that are already born. Would that be a fair criticism? Now, a lot of us, we can get super hot and bothered by topics like this, right? Hey, you took a shot at me, so I want to take a shot at you. But I wonder if you rip away the veil a little bit, what do they really want? Like, like what does she want to see in Christians that would make her stop? to see that there's something true about the God that they worship. And it reminded me of a video that I saw not too long ago. I'm going to play it this morning. Thank you. 
I've seen that video before. And even as I watch in my office, church, I just weep thinking about it. My friend who posted that meme, although it might be a political statement, the world needs a church that is distressed at what they see around them. Distressed enough to do something about it. The world needs a church that has truth that makes them move. And if the church is more characterized by that, there will be less criticism and more people wondering at the beauty that transcends even political positions. This is where Paul is headed in the content of his message. In other words, as we look at the next paragraph, Paul, uh, he's uh, debating with people at, at Mars Hill, and he says, look, I perceive that in every way you're very religious people, and, and we have plenty of those here in America, religious people, for as I pass along, I observed the objects of your worship, and I also found an altar with the inscription to the unknown God, what therefore you worship as unknown, this is what I want to proclaim to you, a God who is real, a God who is what? The God who made the universe, the world, everything in it, and he is Lord of heaven and, and earth, that is, Paul is saying, look, I want to introduce to you all a God who is worthy of all of your worship. All of it. This is the header that takes the very definition of who God is. This isn't demigod business Paul is referring to. It's not amateur hour, minor league God that Paul is referring to. If God could not and did not create all things, would he be worthy of all worship? He would not, but he is creator of all things. We look at even more. Not only is God creator of all things, but there are some pointed truth in which Paul believes that his God, the God he worships, is the one and only true God worthy of all worship because one, he does not live in temples made by man. He cannot be contained, especially by man. In fact, what we know about God, all that we can contain, is very little in respect to his awesomeness. And yet God explains his awesomeness to the very lowest elementary level possible compared to his greatness. Secondly, what? Nor is this God who Paul serves served by human hands as though he needed anything since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. Man is God's creation. God does not need man. God does not need to be served by man. That's not what makes him God. But man, on the other hand, needs God. God is worthy of all worship because he is sufficient of all things. And our need is so great that we find even the basic means of existence only in him. Life and breath. There's many who hold a perspective that uh, God is the old man father time with the large beard, right? God is not an old man who needs an oxygen mask. He's not. He's the very source of life and breath and everything, basic and large. God is third and even four. What he made from one man, every nation of mankind to live on the earth, determined allotted periods of the boundaries of their dwelling place for what purpose? That they should seek him and perhaps feel their way towards him 
and find him. Yet, God is not actually far from any of us. God has created man that man could find all sufficiency, life itself, and boundless eternity in worshiping him. Now, this would be wrong, this would be disturbing, this would be insanity for anyone to state this who wasn't God. Only a God who is all God in all ways can command all to worship him. This is what makes Paul's God worthy of all worship. He even quotes their own poets and he says, look, the deepest longings described by your poets who do not know this God all point to confirm their thirst for a God who is that big, that great, and that good. So we come to the conclusion, and first we look at what are the conclusions that Paul's audience made as we begin to close the connection here. Uh, Paul points them to a specific truth, and that is this. The time of ignorance about God, it's done for, right? God has commanded that everyone everywhere repent from being ignorant about who he is and what he desires for us. The time for ignorance is over. Was that true for them back then? The time to be ignorant about who God is is over? A time to repent and come to know God as Savior was right before them? That same truth is ours today, isn't it? Right? We have, we have the scriptures. Right? We can know who God is from the scriptures. And so for us too, the time to be ignorant is over. That is, you can know God personally and there's no need to manipulate him into something else or to be caught up in fruitless talk and wild speculation. It was true for them then, it's true for us today. We're going to work our way backwards, back up to the next paragraph. In the content of, of Paul's message, there is a very great application to this. And that is, in God's purpose in creating us, that we might worship him, that we would delight in him, is that we would what? We would seek him, and we would feel our way toward him, and ultimately that we would find him. The word seek is uh, like seeking something that you have lost. How many of you have ever lost something before? How many of you ever lost sleep because you lost something before? I mean, uh, just yesterday we were trying to get all our tax documents together, and we were missing one, and so everything in the house is disturbed as we're trying to bring up this tax document that we lost somewhere. There is a sense of urgency when you're seeking something that you have lost. And that is what Paul is trying to tell us, that today, beloved, God desires for you to have a sense of urgency in seeking him. And in seeking him, the rest of your life might become a little bit disturbed as you pursue him. That you might seek him as well as that you might, and, and when we think about feel our way towards him, it's, it's not that we're blind feeling our way towards him, but rather uh, that we would wrestle with him. That we would lay hands on him to see him for who he is, just as Jacob wrestled with God because he desperately 
wanted his blessing. Why I bring up this inductive Bible study is this is a very real way for you to wrestle with God and his word and bring practical application to your life. Right? It takes time. You have to make time to do it. It's not just going to happen. But it's worth it. Because ultimately, you find God. It's never, in God's opinion, it's never seek just to seek or wrestle just to wrestle, but all of it is in order that we would find God. And in this we have a promise, do we not, church? That if we seek him with all of our heart, we will find him eternally, and yet we can still seek, wrestle, and find God in our tomorrow. Last but not least, as we move to the first paragraph, in the context, setting the stage is all about evangelism. It's all about telling and sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. How would we share the good news of Jesus Christ to those who we meet in the marketplace? We have to ask some key questions. The first is this. What do the people around me worship? What do they worship? Maybe, to put it another way, uh, where do they find their security? People around you at your workplace, your neighbors, where do they find their security? If it's not in Jesus, it's going to run out. And they're going to be looking for something deeper. And last but not least, we ask these questions so we can be like Paul and we can say, how can we paint for these people a beautiful picture of a God who is worthy of all of our worship, of all of our praise, of all of our security? Thank you for listening to today's podcast and consider subscribing and sharing with others. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please go to princetonfree.com. God bless.